the Girl Crush Podcast. Some theme music. She has so many funny lines right up Reese's alley. I love her even more. It's underrated. I had no idea. Fell in love with her performances in the 90s. Supreme. Clearly, she has guts. Whiskey teacups, also known as Sass. Full two cups of whiskey. It's also known as like a classic. Forgot how much I love this movie. I completely agree. This is exactly what we had in mind. So on point. So on point. Hello, and welcome to the Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Anne. I'm Allie. We love Reese Witherspoon, so this season we're watching all of her movies and ranking them. If you want to give us your own thoughts, be sure to connect with us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod. And as always, be sure to rate and review. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Good Lie. This movie was released in 2014. Reese Witherspoon plays a character named Carrie, and this film follows Sudanese siblings who journey over 800 miles to flee war as children and then were relocated as refugees to the United States as adults. You can rent this on Amazon Prime. Now is the time to pause and go watch it if you do want to. Otherwise, from here on out, there will be spoilers. And I think this is a good watch. Like, I think it's worth the rental fee. I totally agree. This was one of those pleasant surprises of things we hadn't seen. Agree. I think it's totally worth the watch. Good movie. For sure. Also, because I just previously said to rate and review, I believe on Apple in the U.S. anyway, we just reached our 50th five-star <gasps> rating, which is very Yay! exciting. So the way Apple works, when you view it, you see reviews and star rankings from the country that you live in. So we can like go online and change the country and see our ratings and reviews from other countries, which obviously helps people in other countries find our podcast. But very exciting to hit 50 here in the U.S. And if you love the pod, please go rate and review it. If you don't love it, don't worry about it. No big deal. Love it. (laughs) Today's episode is also brought to you by Wander and Ivy, a certified woman-owned business that sells premium single-serve organic wines. Each beautiful reusable glass bottle is a perfect 6.3-ounce pour. Love this wine. Drink it on the reg for real. Yes. If you order it, please let us know what you get because we have our faves for sure, but honestly, highly recommend the variety pack, I think. Yeah, me too. You can check them out at wanderandivy.com or on Instagram at wanderandivy. And be sure to use code GIRLCRUSH for 15% off. Okay, before we jump in, I have to ask, when we started our phone call, you were giggling. What's up? <laughs> I, <laughs> Scott and I drove to my parents yesterday, so we drove the, like, thousand miles from Colorado to Illinois, and I am currently recording on the floor of my childhood closet, which is just, like, <laughs> kind of a relic to quilts and small child furniture now. So <laughs> it's just kind is of... Is it like a walk-in closet? Yes, literally just like stacked rockers and like there's like stacked rocking chairs. Legit 25 quilts in here. (laughs) That's amazing. Your sound's probably going to be really good. Those quilts are offering some padding. Yes. The most artistic soundproofing money can buy, I think. Oh, that's so great. Okay, so jumping into The Good Lie, we rated this plot a 9 out of 10. Whoa! And we had not heard of this movie. I hadn't heard of it. I hadn't seen it. This one came out of nowhere for us. Mm -hmm. The movie opens in 1982 when civil war broke out in Sudan. And in 1987, thousands of Sudanese orphans fled the country. 13 years later, they relocated to the United States and were nicknamed the Lost Boys of Sudan. This is a true event that happened, but this movie is a fictionalized version of something that happened during that time. Right. So we see kids getting on a jet at a refugee camp in Kenya. One character, Jeremiah, voices over that his brothers and sisters only knew their village in Sudan before this all happened. 
We then flash back to 13 years ago and see village life in Sudan. Helicopters arrive and start dropping bombs. So this is like the war has invaded their village and the villagers try to take cover. They're being attacked and men on foot come with machine guns, shooting and setting fire to their homes. So it's super awful. They're being kind of attacked from multiple angles here. Mm -hmm. Chaos ensues. One teenage boy looks for his father, finds out he's been killed. He and another girl narrowly escape back to where some other kids are hiding near some trees. A handful of them survive and they run into the wilderness. And these kind of become like our main characters here. So heartbreaking. Oh, I cannot even imagine. No. So they start making their way towards Ethiopia, which is where they were told to go if something happened. But they also learn that Ethiopia is unsafe now too. So they change their route towards Kenya. They travel 570 miles. They go through so much hardship on the way. So sadly, one little boy that they're with dies along the way. And they make camp one night. And when they wake in the morning, two soldiers start shooting towards them. The oldest boy in this group of kids, Theo, steps forward and says he's lost from his people and basically goes towards the men to save the other children. So the other children stay hidden. He moves forward and essentially like sacrifices himself so the other kids can get away. Yeah, to like lead them away from the other kids so they don't come closer. Right, right. So sad. So sad. So now we only have four kids remaining. Their names are Mamir and Abital, who are brother and sister, and then Paul and Jeremiah. They have now traveled like 785 miles. They make it to a refugee camp in Kenya. And then we flash forward to them as young adults. So they've spent a lot of time here. We learn that their hope of ever leaving the camp is waning. Every so often, a list is posted of people who will be taken to other places and part of the refugee program. So whenever that list is posted, they like excitedly go to it to check if their names are on it. Mm -hmm. One day, the four of them are on the list to go to Kansas City. So of course, they're super excited. This is a chance for a new and better life for them. But like the disappointment of people not on the list is so heartbreaking. And they've been waiting at this point for 13 years. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. It's like that disappointment of the people who didn't make it on the list was almost too much for me to handle. It's heartbreaking. Mm Mm-hmm. Horrible. This is a real program, though, as Ali mentioned earlier. And since the early 1990s, more than 20,000 Sudanese refugees have been resettled in the U.S. And they are known as the Lost Boys. Mm Mm-hmm. So our four main characters land at JFK. They're getting ready to transfer to their flight to Kansas City. But Abital is told now that she has to go to Boston instead of Kansas City. Like something changed with the program. And the coordinators who are there kind of rush the whole thing. They're not happy about it. They say this really difficult and rushed goodbye. They didn't know they were going to have to separate. And the coordinators just like barely try to help get her placed in Kansas City again. They just are like, you guys have to go. These are the flights. There's nothing we can do. It's so upsetting. Like, yes. <laughs> like they've been together their entire lives. They've gone through this tragic situation. And then they spring this on them after they make it to the U.S. Right. Like they survived war as children and now you're coming to this new country and you're splitting them from the only family they've ever known. Like it's really emotional. Yeah. This is the first point in the movie I think that we at least took notes that we cried. Yes. I feel like maybe we teared up before like seeing some of the hardship they went through. But like this was like, ugh heartbreaking and you do hope like people who actually volunteer with those organizations like are not as almost (sighs) callous as they're represented here but i i don't know i'm like oh it's terrible yeah yeah it is 
So the three men arrive in Kansas City, and the person who was supposed to meet them at baggage claim isn't there. So instead, we meet Carrie, a dark brunette Reese, who gets a call that they need a ride. And she's really annoyed, saying it's not her problem, and she's, like, leaving a hookup that she's having with a guy at a motel, and he asks if she wants her bra, and she says, they're from Africa, they probably won't care. Which I only state in here to give you a sense of her character, which, unfortunately, at this point, we're like, don't love her. Carrie. Like, that is a prejudice statement to make. Yeah, yeah, exactly. However, she does look like a country pop star. She's wearing this, like, (laughs) denim skirt, plaid tunic, if you recall tunics. Yes. With a belt over it, even better fashion statement, and some boots and a leather jacket. I mean, she's, like, all in on the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. I will say this would make a great Sunday-style spotlight. So (laughs) keep an eye out on our Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod because we will be recreating a look from this movie as we do with most of the movies that we review. So that, that'll be a fun one. Yeah, that would be the look, I think. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> so Carrie goes to pick them up and she seems a bit ignorant if we haven't already gathered that. And she's like really unaware of the culture shock that they're experiencing. Like they are going from war-torn country when they were children to living in a refugee camp to now being in the United States. So they're going through a ton of culture shock. Mm-hmm. They also marvel at her survival skills, which is their words, when they learn that she provides for herself instead of a husband providing for her. So again, just kind of seeing like the stark difference between the cultures. Mm-hmm. And she seems like she's like a newer part of this organization. Too. Yeah. And yeah. it's not like her life mission to do well in this position. Right. Yeah. Like you're kind of like, you seem so uncaring. Like, why are you in this job? Is right. it the only job you could get? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. So she then drops them off where they have been set up with housing. And inside is Pamela, played by Sarah Baker, who's the charity worker assigned to help them. Mamir starts asking about how they can get Abatal here, but Pamela basically brushes them off just saying it's impossible. Meanwhile, the guys marvel at the Western slash first world conveniences that they have in their home. They pull their mattresses into the living room to sleep on the floor, which is such a sweet moment. And they just sing and reminisce about home and like, ugh. I don't know. This is an emotional part, too, because they just wanted to be together and sleep on the living room floor, like, all together because that's what they're used to. Yeah. Would you think that would be an amazing sleep or horrible? I think it would probably be a horrible sleep. I could see it going either way. Like, in one way, maybe the relief of being somewhere where they've Mm. been, like, wanting and hoping to get to. But in another way, like, it's so different. Yeah, just, like, the sounds alone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So different. And, like, not feeling complete with Avatar not there. Right, right. I remember this is literally not the same at all. But (laughs) that feeling of being, like, super excited because something they've, like, wanted for so long, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) The day that we got engaged, I literally... Did not sleep. I did not sleep. Even though I was like, That's amazing. oh, I should be so, like, at peace and restful. No, stared at the ceiling the whole night. I did I was the just same like, thing. I was just, like, excited, you know? And the next day, we had a timeshare presentation we had to go to. And I was like, Pete, today is not your day because I'm exhausted. We're not buying a timeshare in Breckenridge, okay? We're leaving. <laughs> Poor Pete. Poor Pete. Poor he Pete. He had no chance. No chance. He had no chance. Oh, that's so great. So the next day, Carrie brings them to interview for jobs at the Waffle House. And it goes horribly because they don't even know what the Waffle House is. And nobody, Carrie or anybody else from this organization, nobody has prepared them for this interview. So they're like going into this completely blind. Yeah. She's like, can you cook? Can you serve tables? And they're like, no. They're like, what does that mean here? You know? Right, right. 
Have you had Waffle House? I've had Waffle House one time, and it was when Kale and I were driving from Texas back to Chicago, which is like, I can't even remember how long it is, like a full day of driving. And we stopped at Waffle House because it was like the middle of the night. And all I remember is I was completely delirious. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> Which right? feels fitting. <laughs> how about you? No, I've never actually had Waffle House. In college, it was always like Original House Pancakes or IHOP. Oh, yeah. Did you see? I don't know if this was during COVID or like right after, but the guy who like made it a mission to eat so many waffles or for so long at Waffle House, and he was like there for a long time eating what? a lot no. of waffles. Okay, I'm going to have to find it and send it to you. It's hysterical. Yes, please do. That's hilarious. <laughs> He's like physically ill from them. <laughs> I can imagine. You right? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> So then Carrie takes them to another guy named Jack, who's played by Corey Stoll from House of Cards. And this guy, Jack, owns the employment agency. So she's reaching out to him so that he can help coach them so that they can get jobs. Mm -hmm. The guys don't want to lie about their skills, which Jack kind of encourages them to do. And he says, as long as they can back it up with doing a good job, it's not a lie Mm -hmm. or it's a good lie. Mm -hmm. Title of the movie. I will say, though, like, Carrie and Jack are just, like, pretty ignorant, and I'm just wondering, are these your first refugees? Like, how are you a part of this organization? (laughs) They just don't seem to have any understanding of what the guys have been through, or they don't seem to have a desire to want to know what they've been through. It's just, there's a disconnect. Yeah, it all feels kind of inconvenient to them. Right, right. So eventually they do get jobs. Mamir and Jeremiah are trained to stock shelves at a grocery store, and they're given name tags Mike and Jerry, which feels like a little bit sad to me. Yeah. Clearly, they're still in culture shock working in a grocery store. And something kind of interesting, like my friend, super fan Gabby of the podcast, she's from Venezuela, and she said when she came here to the United States, something that shocked her the most were the grocery stores due to like the sheer size of them and all of the options that are there. Yeah, I think that's a very like common shock in the U.S. coming from other countries, even from like Europe, is just like there's a thousand cereals to choose from. And even like I'm allergic to peanut butter, but 15 different brands of peanut butter. And people are like, why do you need so many choices? <laughs> right. It's like there's so <laughs> yeah, much. There's, there's so much. And I, I get it because I too, I mean, any aisle you walk down at the grocery store, you're bound to find someone just staring blankly being like, oh yeah, what brand of olives should I get? <laughs> and it's like, why does it matter? There's it's, it's olives. Right, right. It's crazy. <laughs> So the manager tells them to throw away expired food, and they really don't understand this because it's so wasteful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they grew up in a poverty-stricken area where food was a really valuable resource, obviously. Mm -hmm. Paul, on the other hand, gets a job at a faucet factory. Turns out he's really good at it. Like, he's assembling these parts, and he does it super fast. Like, this is something that comes super naturally to him. And it's, I think, especially impressive because it's not even, like, a tool that he's interacted with a lot in his life, right? Like, he didn't have ready access to sinks and running water and stuff like that. So it's just like right. the actual mechanics of it are what clicks with him so well. And people at the factory are like, are you for real? Snow yeah, guy so coming impressive. in here? <laughs> Showing us up? <laughs> yeah, for real. The guys also get pizza one night, and this has no bearing on the plot, but I wanted to say it because I love this part. They call it Miracle Food Pizza because it's their first time having it. I get it. (laughs) I love it. I love that. Just (laughs) I love that they put that in there, just like some of the small joys of finding new things to love. (laughs) Totally. Totally. What is your fave pizza place and or toppings? Okay. Well, you know this, but I don't know if our podcast listeners know this yet. 
As far as takeout pizza goes, I'm a Domino's girl through and through. Kale and I love ourselves a Domino's night, and my go-to is very traditional pepperoni pizza. But I will say Chicago, you know, we have a lot of great pizza options here. As far as, like, Chicago-style pizza, I love Pequod's with their, like, caramelized crust. Mm, So if you're mm -hmm. ever in Chicago, get Pequod's. Yeah, be prepared to wait. Yeah. What about you? I love Detroit-style pizza, which is the crust is typically kind of that caramelized, like, Pequod's crust that goes kind of up the sides of the pan. Yeah. And the sauce is on top. Mm. So, like, if you've had Jets, which is probably the most common chain. But here in Colorado, there is a Detroit-style pizza place called Blue Pan that is, like, so freaking amazing. So you can get, like fig and goat cheese and caramelized onion like it's so good stop that sounds amazing it's so good i need to take you there next time we go they don't deliver this far north which like is a bummer but (laughs) it's worth the drive oh so you like have to go get it yourself yes but it is so good oh my god Allie, this is unrelated (laughs) you know what's in my closet (laughs) what i just stretched out my leg well you know how i love you know like colonial times again if you've not listened to older episodes not colonialism just the time period (laughs) of the 1700s 1800s for my 10th birthday we went to williamsburg virginia and i got to dress up as a little colonial child stop (laughs) like grinding salt in a mortar and pestle but you know what's in my closet right now bless your sweet little 10 year old heart it's like a little like hoop which they like they would like roll it and like hit it with a stick wait what (laughs) yes it was a game it was like the stick and hoop or whatever i thought it was for like under your i don't know colonial outfit (laughs) oh no this was like a game so you'd like roll it on the ground and hit it with a stick and like see how far it could go and for some reason it's still in our house 20 years later you got it from williamsburg (laughs) yes Oh, that's amazing. I thought you'd be tickled by that. (laughs) I am so tickled by that. (laughs) I love that you still have it. I mean, I don't. My mom does. (laughs) This isn't my house. Oh, maybe you'll pass it down to your future kids one day. Oh my God. She's a relic. Good thing this episode is coming out long after we leave, or else that thing would be in my trunk when I got home without me realizing (laughs) it. (laughs) Hilarious. Okay, so back to the good lie. Mamir goes to Carrie's house to thank her for helping them. And he just lets himself in and starts calling for her because he doesn't realize the etiquette that you're supposed to knock on the door or ring a doorbell. Mm -hmm. You don't just walk into someone's house. The place is a total disaster. And so he starts cleaning up trash, like sweet soul. And Carrie like sneaks downstairs hearing this and almost hits him with a baseball bat thinking that he's an intruder. Yeah, he's like, his response to that is, there's a reason you do not have a husband. Because her house is, like, for real tragic. Yeah, it is bad. Also, he brings her oranges to thank her, which is, like, the sweetest thing because Uh, they aren't used to having oranges where they lived. It just, like, wasn't a regional fruit. And she has the audacity to be annoyed that he's, like, there in the first place. And I'm like, you could take five minutes to teach this guy about doorbell etiquette and how a phone works to, like, call and see if she's there or whatever. Come on, Carrie. Exactly. It's like, come on. 
Finally, that evening, we see that Carrie takes a moment to Google Sudan refugees and learn about where these guys came from. Thankfully, I'm like, how have you not done this already? (laughs) This does seem like a miss with her whole character because if her employment agency was even contracted with this refugee group, like, wouldn't she be remotely familiar with what was going on? Yeah, like, like, don't they train them on this? Clearly, she's new to this, but it just seems like she should be somewhat familiar with how this process works, you know? Right, right. So time continues to pass. The guys try to get Abital to Kansas City, but they're not having any luck with it. At work, Paul is doing really well at the faucet factory. He's outperforming his coworkers, and they're kind of, like, annoyed by him because he's doing so well. And they tell him to take it easy and give him some weed during a break. Jerry catches a woman trying to take food from the dumpster, like outside the grocery store, and he tells her not to. And instead, he gives her fresher food from the latest cart so it's not as expired. So if you remember, they were told to throw out expired food. And his boss catches this and asks what he's doing. And he says, it's a sin to not give to those in need. And they're just throwing it away anyway. And his boss asks who said that. And he said, Jeremiah did and takes off his apron and gives it to his boss. Jeremiah, you sweet angel. 10 character points for Jeremiah. Yes. Yes. Okay. I was watching, um, I was probably an Instagram reel, just about like crazy waste in retail, let alone food, where it's even like the children's place, right? Like child's clothing store. Mm. If they are getting rid of clothes, they're literally cutting them up and throwing them away. They won't even donate them because they think people can sell them and make a profit from it. And I'm like, what? Who cares then at that point? I'm like, it's a sunk cost to you already. You are getting rid of it no matter what. Why do you care? How messed up is that? Isn't that so messed up? And I saw, why am I getting so many uh, videos of people dumpster diving? I don't know. But I saw (laughs) another video of someone dumpster diving and it was like stuff maybe from home goods or something and it was like cushions and stuff and they literally like slash them before they throw them away. And I'm like, why? What is the point That's of doing so that? so wasteful. If people want to go dumpster diving or need to, let them. Like, yeah, it's no insane. consequence to you. I don't understand. That is so crazy. I don't get that either. And the food waste thing, I, I really can't think about too hard or else it makes me really upset. Yeah, agreed. Thankfully, so I work in the food industry, but it's kind of crazy, like the regulations that go behind expiration dates and whether they're like federal regulations or regulations from retailers who we're selling to. But we have like a method so that if something gets too close to the expiration date and we haven't sold it yet, then we have secondary resale that we sell it to or we donate it. And like our very last resort is just to throw it away. That's good because you work for yeah. a big company, so that's comforting. Yeah. So, and that's one of our like main tenants is helping feed people who need it. So I'm very thankful for that. But otherwise, like I don't know what happens to it. Well, you've heard of like uh, imper what's it called imperfect imperfect foods. Like the produce that they send yeah, you, it's yeah, yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because I, I also wonder about that. I'm like, how much food gets thrown away that's just like... Not pretty enough or something? Not pretty enough, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, like, if you live somewhere like Chicago, we're really fortunate to have some awesome organizations like the Greater Food Depository, where grocery stores or other places can give food away that's too expired for them to sell, but not technically too expired to eat. Mm-hmm. And that can go to different food banks and stuff like that. So yeah, that's all good. this to say... You should look into your area food banks and things like that and volunteer. It's really cool and eye-opening to do so. I've done it at the Greater Food Depository in Chicago, and it's really awesome. So when I was a child, my cousins and I decided to do our own food drive. That's and adorable. the little entrepreneurial spirits that we were, we did this in West Virginia where my cousins uh-huh. lived. 
We did this for multiple years in a row, and we would get grocery stores, Kroger, to donate plastic food bags. And my uncle owned a print shop, so we would print up flyers and staple them to the bags, and we would go leave them on people's doorsteps in neighborhoods and ask them to fill up the bags and drop them off. And we gathered, like, thousands, thousands what? and thousands and thousands of cans and personal food items and donated them to, like, women's shelters in Charleston, West Virginia. And we did that for years. Uh, it's like my little, like, childhood. You. Yeah. And I, I was just like, you know, anyone can make a difference, you know, even if you're 10. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love it. We'll put some links in yeah. the show notes for a couple of organizations, maybe specifically around food. Let's do it. Yeah. So when Paul gets home that evening, Mamir and Jeremiah know that something is off with him, and they think he has an eye infection because his eyes are red. But if you remember, like, he smoked a joint at work. And he's, like, super chill. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he also does get kind of, like, sad and a little bit negative energy, like, saying that they need to stop pretending there's something they're not, like, they're nothing in America, etc. And he leaves. And we start to see that he's really struggling with this transition. Mm Mm-hmm. And as time passes, some nights he doesn't even come home. The other two guys are taking classes and they're taking on extra jobs, trying to adjust to their new lives. But Paul is just unfortunately really struggling. Mm -hmm. Carrie continues to visit them and learns that no one has helped to get Abital here. And finally, Carrie seems sympathetic towards them. So they're kind of getting to know her more and she's softening up to them and starting to open up to what they're going through. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul, at one point, tries to use a payphone to call Abital, but he's unable to reach her. He still doesn't know how it really works. So frustrated, he starts yelling, and then he's, like, beating the phone, like, the receiver of the phone against the payphone thing, and he ends up getting arrested. I don't know if it was for, you know, disorderly conduct or what it was for. Carrie, Mamir, and Jeremiah go to pick him up. And I'm like, I'm crying again at this point because this guy, yeah. poor, poor guy is just going through so much. Nobody is helping him the way that he should be helped. It's so sad. Yeah, it's so much. Like, can you imagine how scary and isolating that is? I can't. I can't imagine. I really cannot imagine. And like going to a new place and trying to understand how their technology works. <laughs> I can tell you. A, <laughs> I can tell you just a funny, embarrassing version of this from my most recent travels abroad. <laughs> Please do. So we recently went to Switzerland and thankfully we didn't have to get cash there because pretty much everywhere took card and our card doesn't have foreign transaction fees. So we were like, oh, no need to worry about getting cash. But we were at one store, like one cafe where they required cash. And so (laughs) I was like, I'll just run to it. They're like, there's an ATM down the street. You can get cash there. So I'm like, okay, I'll run and do that. We were trying to make a train. So I was literally running to the ATM because we were in a hurry. (laughs) And he said it was right around the corner. So I go right around the corner and I'm like looking around and I go up to this machine and I'm looking at it. And it's not in English, but I see a little sticker that says ATM. And so I have my card out and I'm like trying out different slots of where I could put this in. (laughs) And this lady comes up to me, clearly notices that I have no idea what I'm doing. And she's like, what are you trying to do? So I point to the sticker and I'm like, ATM? And she's like, this is a gas station. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, she's going to tell that story for the rest of her life. (laughs) And you're at the center of it. I can just see your face being like, oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) I'm like, I I also knew it was a gas station, but there was a machine and it said ATM. I thought maybe they had an ATM here. You're like, did you know in America I graduated from one of the most uh, prestigious business schools? (laughs) 
I wanted I swear. to die. <laughs> but because we were also in a hurry, I, she pointed me to the real ATM, which was very clear because it was in a bank like <laughs> most. Was there a gas pump? Did you not I see? Were just... there cars? What? I, were there contacts okay, clues you were missed no or was it like there. very obvious? It was very obvious. I knew it was a gas station too. I just thought, weird, it has an ATM sticker. You must be able to get cash at the gas pump. My face hurts so bad. Oh my God. No, it was, it was, it was very obvious. I don't know why I thought it would be different there. I, I still don't know what the ATM sticker on that thing meant. And I had no time to stop and, and ask because we were trying to make the train. So I just... She sprinted fled. off towards the real ATM. <laughs> oh, so embarrassing. Oh my god, that's hysterical. Wow, my face hurts so bad. Oh man. <clears throat> we gotta find a way to lighten up the episode a little, you know? Totally. Totally, yeah. So unfortunately, we learned that Paul seems to hold a grudge against Mamir because the night that Theo was taken prisoner, it was Mamir's suggestion to stop and make camp, even though Theo was not convinced it was safe. So Mamir and Paul get into this fist fight, and they're all dealing with just like so much trauma. They feel guilt over Theo being taken. They're blaming each other. It's just a really, really awful night. But the next morning, they they kind of sleep it off, and the next morning, they make up. At this point, I'm crying because it's just... It is so traumatic and they're yeah. going through so much and it's just like these poor men who are like they've been waiting for this literally for over a decade and yeah. how disappointing and how much of a almost I imagine you have feelings of failure if you're like yeah. I waited so long to get this thing and now I'm unhappy and you know like ugh, it's terrible. Right, right. Oh, so awful. So Carrie goes to immigration and tries to get Avital moved to Kansas City. So loving this turnaround here. She has come yeah. full circle. She's on board. They've She's bonded with them. But due to red tape, because 9-11 had recently happened, so we're in like 2001 now, they can't move Avital unless they find a host family for her in Kansas City. And there's a lot of red tape. So Carrie, moved after bonding with the men, asks Pamela over to help get her approved to be a host for a refugee. <laughs> Carrie! So amazing. I just got chills even though I know, I know this happens. I know. I love it. So her and Pamela have a good time. <laughs> they get drunk and clean her house. <laughs> Vibes. Vibes. It's kind of hilarious to me that they just, like, threw that in there. Like, it I know, really I doesn't have anything it. to do with the plot. <laughs> you know, that's a friendship vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's now Christmas time, and Carrie is hanging out with the men, and she tells them that someone's at the door. They go to open it, and Avital is there! When I tell you I gasped out loud in uh, real life, I am not lying. I giggled, I cried. It was so sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. Even though, like, maybe you know it's coming, but it's just perfect, and it's Christmas, yeah, and... exactly. I love it. Oh, so they just enjoy the winter season, reunited, all together again. They do, like, winter activities, including going ice skating. When was the last time that you went ice skating? I think it might have been when we took ice skating class our senior year of college. <laughs> really? That long ago? I can't remember if I've ever been ice skating after that. What about you? The last time I went ice skating, ice skating, ice skating was the day before Scott proposed. We were in <gasps> oh. Brackenridge and we went ice skating. And there's literally a photo of me with my hand like on his shoulder, my left hand. And I was like, oh, people are going to think we got engaged. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like I a day with Marie Burfest. Yeah, so that was the last time I went ice skating. But totally, I was like Bambi on ice. And I was like telling Scott the whole time. And Scott was like a hockey player. Scott is good at skating. Uh. I was like, Allie and I had a routine to all make a man out of you from Mulan. And he's like, what is wrong with you? I'm sure in that moment he was like, do I really want to propose? <laughs> he still did it. He You're like, I it. used to be able to do a backward swizzle. I know. And I was swizzling. Let me tell you. I got into <gasps> yes, the swizzle. You were. It took me like an hour, but I, I got it back. Good for you. Thank you. Actually, I do think Kayla and I went ice skating once, but it, I think it was during college because we went at the U of I, but I think it was during college after our ice skating class. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's open. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we went to, like, an open skate or something. And, of course, there's always, like, that one girl who's on the ice who's, like, thinks she's Tara Lipinski or, like, Michelle Kwan, oh, yeah. which is showing my age that those are the skaters I'm referencing. <laughs> but they're, like, doing jumps, and I'm like, ma'am, <laughs> this is a family open Excuse skate. Me? There's <laughs> Some of us are just trying to stay alive on the ice, okay? One time when I was in, like, second grade, I went to a birthday party at an ice rink, and I was wearing this, like, my favorite magenta, fuzzy, like... I don't know if it was what's that fabric like chenille? Yeah, yeah, that I a know fabric what you're name. About. Yeah, like that mm-hmm. chenille, like soft fabric. I fell and my sweater literally got stuck to the ice. It's <laughs> not where I thought that was going. <laughs> I remember vividly cutting my thumb on my skate ice skating oh. once when I was a kid. How I did that, nobody knows. But <gasps> that's yeah. awful. That makes me mm-hmm. cringe. Oh. There was some, what was it? There was some like high school, college, or maybe even professional, I don't know, some skating hockey incident recently. Someone's like hand got cut off or something with skates. Excuse me? They got like badly injured. Uh, I'm in shock right now. Oh, no. Some guy, some kid died. Stop. Did it touch his, what is that artery called? Your femoral artery? Yes. Um, this was a, uh, a 10th grader <gasps> died. He fell. His neck was cut by another no. player's skate. <laughs> I know you hate veins. Yeah, this was uh, this year. Mm-hmm. What a nightmare. Okay, I'm never going skating again. Never. Isn't that terrible? Well, I mean, you're not playing like violent hockey, but. That's true. That's a plus. Anything can happen, I guess. I mean, that's tragic. Oh my goodness. That's, that's so awful. Sad. I always wonder when I'm watching, like, the Olympics, which, by the way, ice skating is one of my, you know, favorite events to watch in the Winter totally. Olympics. Like, when they grab their skates or they rest their oh. skate against their legs or their partner's legs or something, I'm just like, how like, do you have so much control? Oh, I don't know. I can't I no lift idea. my leg when I'm standing stationary. I can't even do it if I'm laying on the ground, let alone lift <laughs> it with a skate on while I'm moving around ice. <laughs> I, I recently accidentally watched a two-hour documentary with Scott <laughs> about the Colorado Avalanche and the Detroit Red Wings Ooh. rivalry. We live in Colorado, and they just won the Stanley Cup, but Scott is a Red Wings fan. Was it good? It was fine, but, you know, it was like one of those, like, I come downstairs at 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and <laughs> Scott always gets up before me, and he's watching a sports documentary. I'm like, it must almost be over. It was not almost. <laughs> Almost over. He had just started it and didn't tell no. me. And I watched the whole freaking thing. And at the end, I'm like, "Who's that? Who's that? Is that the same guy?" And he's like, "Oh my god!" Like, were you even here? Oh, it's hilarious. Anywho. So back back to the good lie. <laughs> Carrie and Abital bond. This is their first time meeting. Carrie confides in her about her sister who passed away two years earlier from cancer. And Abital really sweetly relates to her and asks if she wonders why it was her sister and not her. So they're like finding ways to connect even though they have such different experiences, but experiences that may like invoke the same emotions. And I just, I love that moment between them and seeing Mm -hmm. Carrie open up and really soften after, you know, getting to know these refugees. Right. 
Abital tells Mamir that she got a letter from someone back at the refugee camp that a man came there asking for them, claiming to be Theo. Abital is hopeful, but their immigration rep tells them, like, it's probably not him. We've had people fake their identities, etc. Basically, don't get your hopes up. And they thought he was likely dead. Mm-hmm. So they come up with a plan to get Theo, if it's really him, accepted as a refugee. And it requires Mamir to go back to Africa and petition different embassies around Africa to give Theo a visa. And it's just like very complex because for whatever reason, they're not able to just get him a visa like through this refugee camp that they came from in Kenya. I feel like I know just enough about our immigration system to know that it is messed up and like so overly complicated. I would be, listen, this guy's waited to get into this country for 13 years and now he has to leave knowing it's possible that our system wouldn't let him back in yeah especially at this point right 9-11 just happened so right right it's crazy lots of things going on and it's like wild i mean your dad immigrated yeah my dad immigrated from lebanon when he was 18 years old and it was such a long process for him to get what he needed to stay here and now he's a citizen which he's really thankful for and he always talks about like the best parts of the United States and it's much better and gave him a lot more opportunity than he would have had in Lebanon. But like the process is just crazy. Like the amount of red tape and steps that you have to go through to show that you're like here for the right reasons and contributing to society and going to do all these things. And Mm -hmm. even after that, there's still so much more that you have to do. Yeah. And also I mentioned my friend Gabby, who's here. She's becoming a doctor in the United States. She was already a doctor in Venezuela. And again, like the red tape that they've had to go through is crazy. And she and her fiance are both becoming doctors here. And it's like, these are the people you know for sure are going to be contributing to society. They're going about it the right way and they make it so complicated. But they're also in the same boat where they can't leave for Mm -hmm. fear of not being able to come back. It's crazy. And I I feel like we just make it so difficult on people who like need the most help. We make it so difficult to get it. Like so many rules and paperwork and the paperwork itself is insane especially after the pandemic and stuff like yeah the wait times for them getting like their paperwork and they went through all the necessary steps and it was literally them waiting for months I think for one of them is like over a year yeah yeah so crazy so Mamir travels back to the refugee camp in search of Theo he looks everywhere exhausted he sits down and suddenly a hand is on top of his and it's Theo like the real Theo And their reunion is so sweet. I'm crying again. Same. It's so sweet. So it turns out Theo had been a prisoner of war, but he survived his time there and made it back to this refugee camp. So they move forward with a plan to try to get Theo accepted as a refugee in Nairobi, but they have no luck. Mamir tells Theo that he got him papers, even though we saw that he got denied. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, pit of my stomach, starting to feel Mm -hmm. some dread here about what's going to happen. Yes. So they go back to the airport, they're in line, and at the last minute, Mamir tells Theo the truth, that he has to pretend he's Mamir now to get on the plane, and that he, Mamir, will stay in Africa and get a job at a hospital. And he wants to honor the fact that Theo gave them all life that day when they were kids, and he wants to pay it back to them by giving him the chance at a new life now. And I'm about to cry right now telling you. I'm about to cry right now. I was crying in the movie. I'm about to cry again right now. It's so sweet. And you just, you know what's happening, and they're in this line and it's like moving towards the agents and it, it's and just you're like this, no like, don't do it but no. also it's so sweet Ugh. it's so sweet it's so sweet and you you understand why he does it yeah yeah 
And so Mamir calls Carrie, and we don't hear the conversation, but we assume he told her that Theo is on his way. And she has tears in her eyes, so we think that she knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Abital, Jeremiah, and Paul greet him at the airport. It's so cute. They have a camcorder, and they are, like, jumping up and down when he arrives. And it's just, like, such a sweet reunion. And Jeremiah says he knows they're called the Lost Boys, but he thinks they've been found. At this point, I am full sobbing, like actual wet face. Yes. It's so, oh, it's so sweet. And, you know, it feels so bittersweet. And it's, so, uh, you know. Yeah. And then the movie ends with Mamir walking alone in Africa, but he's smiling to himself as he walks. Like very comfortable with the decision that he made. Oh, that's the end. This movie received a lot of praise. We loved it. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we gave it a nine out of 10. It got an 87% critic score, 82% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So highly regarded. Also got an A-plus rating from CinemaScore. Other movies that have gotten an A-plus include classics like Forrest Gump, The Lion King, When Harry Met Sally, Titanic, Frozen, Mm. Avengers Endgame, The Blind Side, and Sing 2. Love it. Which, at the time of watching this movie, we had not watched yet, but now we were excited to watch it, and obviously we we really liked that one, too. Yeah. And just for comfort's sake, I checked none of our girl crushes have a movie on the F list, which is encouraging. Good. This movie premiered at the 2014 Toronto Film Festival, where it received the longest standing ovation in the history of the festival. I just got full chills. This movie also... I'm reading notes on my laptop. I just got a text from Scott that said, thoughts on me getting tattoos on my elbows. Just <laughs> no context. Okay. <laughs> This movie had the same producer as The Blind Side, which Mm. is amazing. So it's just like, mm, it's good, you know? It's so good. Yeah. What are some things you really liked about the story or the way they portrayed it? Love that we got to see them in childhood. We, like, saw Mm. that bond forged. We saw what they went through together. I think it really makes you feel for them and understand their bond more. And it just, you know, if we had started with them just at the refugee camp... We wouldn't fully understand the dynamics, so I really loved that we got to see that. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I also just, I loved, like, the different pieces that were told in the story. So, obviously, the main part of the story and these people coming together and experiencing opportunity for a new and better life. But what I really love is that it also, like, really sweetly celebrates the small things, like small joys in life, the joys of siblings and family and things like food and technology and stuff like that. I just... I like that they've added those kind of small pleasures throughout. Mm-hmm. Also, the casting choices for this movie were so phenomenal and respectful. Mm-hmm. So the actor who played Mamir is the son of a Sudanese refugee. And the actors who played Jeremiah and Paul are Sudanese refugees. And they were former child soldiers, which is oh. just like an unimaginable past. Oh. Yeah, truly. And the actress who played Abital was also a refugee. Emmanuel Jal, who plays Paul, wrote two of the songs that are in the movie I love and that. And during filming, Kuath, who played Abital, she's the actress, learned that one of her brothers actually fled the rebels with Emmanuel Jal, who plays Paul. Like they learned this about each other while filming that's this movie, so that they were cool. like actually were connected. connected. Yeah. And that's like, oh, I, I just love that they actually use people who could so intimately connect with yes, the story. I completely agree. That was so, so cool. I love that we learned that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie just, I mean, it gets you in your feels, makes you think about things outside of what we experience here and how, you know, how privileged we are here and what other people go through to try and come here to have the opportunities that we have, you know? Yeah. It really makes you think. 
going into this movie and seeing the cover especially, I think I was worried that it was going to come off very white savory. That, like, mm-hmm. Reese's character would be really unbecoming. I found her to be ignorant at the beginning, but I yeah. did not find it to be white savory. And I hope, I'd be curious to hear another, a different perspective on it, but I hope that's because actual Sudan refugees star in this movie and that they were consulted as part of this process and, like, that it felt more like a true representation of their journeys and experiences. Totally. And Reese is not the star of this movie. No, no. She's not. I think she was cast in it so that there was a big name to draw people, but I like that they didn't overuse her. Agreed. I, I think it was a very tasteful use of yeah. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. yeah. I will say something disappointing. I love their casting of this and everything like that, but sadly, in February of 2015, the Foundation for Lost Boys and Girls of Sudan, acting on behalf of 54 Sudanese refugees, filed a lawsuit against the writer of this movie, Margaret Nagel, and the production companies, claiming that basically these refugees were joint authors of the stories that had been told, like they had been taped in interviews and their stories were used to write the movie, but then they did not get compensation that they were promised, which is like... heart-wrenching after Mm, like I do feel like probably because of that that means that the stories represented were very true and I love that they use the actors but it's disappointing to learn that they didn't compensate them as was agreed upon and the court was siding with the refugees but before it concluded the claims were settled out of court so hopefully they've been you know repaid for what they were owed yeah the other thing that I think that just like really shook me about this movie was that these are events that took place largely during our lifetimes and was not something I was taught about really in high school, right? Like, yeah, same. Two million people died during this war between the war, famine, and disease. The second Sudanese civil war was a conflict from 1983 to 2005. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a civil war within Sudan, but it was largely a continuation of the first Sudanese civil war between 1955 and 1972. So, like, this country just internal turmoil for decades yes. and never learned about it really. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. It just makes me think, like, what else has happened out there that we just have, like, really no context on. Right. But overall, such a good movie. There was nothing I really, like, disliked about it. Though Probably the only thing I thought was a little bit of a miss was the fact that Reese's character and the other employment agency guy, like, didn't seem to know... <laughs> didn't seem to know much about their experience. But other than that, there was nothing in the movie that I, like, wished was different or anything like that. Like, it's a really, really good movie. Yeah, obviously it was super thought-provoking for us and emotional and we learned things. Like, great movie. Totally. So for Reese's character, Carrie, we gave her an 8.25 out of 10, which might be surprising, Mm -hmm. maybe, because we didn't really like her at first. Yeah, at the beginning we were just like, Oh, man, ignorant and selfish. Yeah. And, you know, we I kind of like about her character, obviously she changes throughout the movie, but even at the beginning when she takes them into the Waffle House, she's done a terrible job of preparing them. She does a terrible job of selling them. (laughs) But we do, in this moment, kind of start to see a bit of change in her, like just very subtle, where she kind of stands up for them when the manager won't give them a job. She kind of seemed annoyed because maybe it meant she had to do more for them, but like, (laughs) at least there's a reaction there. So Yeah, you start to see it. Yeah, I at least liked that it wasn't like a sudden switch where it was just like, where did this come from? I don't know. And obviously, I love the change of heart. You know, when she wants to open her home to Abital, I was like, 
a puddle. Yeah, I'm like, oh, me too. Yeah, I love just seeing the whole change in her and watching her open up to the guys and to Avital, like when she told Avital about her sister and things like that, that I thought was a really cool way to help us get to know her character more and see kind of where she's coming from and really see a lot of growth from her character, even though, like we mentioned before, I don't think it was overdone at all, but you did, like, it is like night and day from the beginning to the end of the movie, what her character is like. Like, if she never had that turnaround, we would have rated her pretty low. <laughs> yeah, and I agree. I I like that we get to see her growth, their impact, and their mm-hmm. personalities and perspectives, how they change her, but it does not distract from the main story, which I think is really important for this movie, that it's not like, well, let's let's focus on how Reese Witherspoon changes her right, perspective. Right. You know, like that is totally in the background. And I don't think we yeah. would have cared nor noticed if we weren't paying close attention to Reese Witherspoon in this for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I will say, like we said at the end of this, like we wished we knew what had ultimately pushed her to take in Avatar, if it was just the gradual change or if there was one specific moment that really stuck out to her. But I think we only thought that because we're reviewing this for Reese. So we were like Mm -hmm. really focused on her character. I think it was a good choice for them not to put too much of that in there. I agree. I think to not distract from the story. Yeah. There is also this one part kind of at, so there's this part of the movie where they're having a New Year's Eve party and they also all decide to celebrate their birthdays at the time Mm -hmm. because they don't know their actual birth dates. So it's this like really huge joint community celebration kind of. And Carrie, who, you know, she's been softening at this point, but she's still like kind of guarded. Mm -hmm. She really gets out of her comfort zone. She's embracing their culture with them because it's a bunch of Sudanese refugees and they're singing their traditional songs and dances and stuff. And she just like lets herself go and lets herself like learn about others. And she's not focused on herself at all. And it's kind of one of the first vulnerable moments we see from her in the movie. And yeah, I love it just really struck me as this like beautiful scene altogether. But the fact that she's part of it and we see that part of her character development there, I think made it even more special or even relatable maybe for us oh yeah totally agree she's also brunette in this movie which is kind of fun yes i'm like did she just so happen to be brunette at that time or was that you know like a character choice i'm not sure i don't know yeah it's it is interesting that she's brunette i again kind of wonder i know uh, i mean obviously totally different character we commented a lot on Jennifer Aniston being brunette as Julia Harris and horrible bosses and obviously yes. this is a totally different movie and character but I do kind of wonder if they made her brunette to, like, kind of make the focus less on blonde Reese Witherspoon. Oh, so she's less, like, iconically Reese. Yeah, so she, yeah, yeah. yeah so she's, like, not the center of attention Yeah, yeah. on be. the screen. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it could be. That's interesting. Do you like her better as a brunette in this movie or in The Morning Show? Ooh, I'm pulling up pictures now to see. So it's, like, a darker, like, a richer brunette in this one versus The Morning Show, right? Is The Morning Show, she's, like, a little a little lighter yeah i think her hair in this one kind of looks like uh june carter from uh walk the line which we have not reviewed yes yet. you're right you're right i like them both i don't know what do you think i think i like the more dramatic i, I like the more dramatic dark yeah from this one yeah this one and and walk the line and I walk think the line I like yeah that i like that better mm-hmm. so for reese's acting in this we gave her an eight out of ten I think her acting here feels very genuine. It's easygoing. It's natural. It's a slightly different role than we usually see her in. And I think she does a solid job at it. I agree. I like it. She's 
rough around the edges, but she does a good job of showing her character slowly softening. Again, Mm -hmm. I don't think it was like just a switch flipping. I think she did it in a very natural way of just kind of being like worn down by these guys. Right. I think an actress who wasn't well-known would have been non-memorable in this role compared to other characters. And I think you're right. Casting her was probably a very deliberate move to draw attention to the movie without Mm -hmm. distracting from the story. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. There's one part where she tears up at the end when Mimir calls her from Africa, which I thought was a nice touch and kind of like one of the only times we see her get sort of that emotional. And I thought she did a really good job of sort of like bringing it home then. Mm-hmm. Oddly, this movie has been called Reese Witherspoon's Blindside. I felt like this was a very different movie. I do not agree with that at all. And I feel like that's very presumptive statement to make. Yeah. Like, is it just because it's a white, it's a character helping someone who's in need? Like, it's a white someone lady trying to overcome their circumstances? Yeah. A black man. Like, that's what makes you say this is the blind side. Like, that is so that's cringy so to say. Weird. Yeah. And it's like completely, completely different movies. It's a totally different story. Like, yeah. And that is in many articles saying, like, this is Reese Witherspoon's blind side. I'm like, where are you getting? Did you watch both movies? Like, what? Where is this coming from? And, not only that, but also she plays a very different role in this movie than Sandra Bullock plays on The Blind Side. I don't even think that's like the same type of role. Yeah, I think it's actually kind of offensive to say, actually. <laughs> like, yeah. And and we love The Blind Side, but it's, it's just... It's, it's just totally it's different. A, you should not compare those movies. You should not compare them. No. At agreed. all. <laughs> <laughs> we are against that statement. Yes. But otherwise, yeah, I like I like correcting this. Yeah. For our bonus category of whiskey teacups, aka sass, we gave her 0.25 out of two. So like a shot, half a shot of whiskey. Yeah. She's not super sassy. She's just rough around the edges. But we do see that she has this like, especially as the movie goes on, I think she has more of a spark of almost like protection mm-hmm. around the guys. It kind of shifts from annoyance and ignorance <laughs> yeah. to, you know, protecting these precious people who introduce her to the joys in life. Right, Reintroduce right. her maybe to the joys in life. Yeah. 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 She's got like only a couple of one-liners here and there of sass. Mm-hmm. So for Would You Watch Again, we rated this a 5 out of 5. I loved this movie. I would watch it again. I do think I would have to be in a specific mood because it is, it's a heavy movie. It is not action-packed. So it's slower, character-driven. So you have to be in the mood to watch a movie like that. But overall, I think it's like a feel-good film and it's worth the tears that you will cry. Totally agree. I loved this movie. I think it's unfortunate that this is not a better-known movie. Yeah. I think it tells like such an important story, part of history. The characters are just like amazing. I mean, this is an amazing story and I, I think everyone should watch it. Totally agree. So to review, we give the plot of The Good Lie a 9 out of 10, Reese's character Carrie an 8.25 out of 10, Reese's acting an 8 out of 10, a Whiskey Teacup score of 0.25 out of 2, and a Would You Watch Again score of 5 out of 5, which comes to a total score of 30.5 out of 37 points, which means that The Good Lie is ranked number 8. Reese's 41 movies. This was a total surprise to us, which we love. We love love having movies we haven't heard of come out in the top 10. It's the best. I love it. And just for some context, this comes in right behind Just Like Heaven and right before Overnight Delivery, which we reviewed not long ago. That top 10 is filling out. Yes, it is. This is just a must watch, whether you are a Reese Witherspoon fan or not, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, definitely. Such a good movie. 
As always, thanks for listening to the Girl Crush Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on today's movie. You can find us on Instagram at girlcrush underscore pod or TikTok at girlcrushpod. You can also visit our website at girlcrushpodcast.com or support us at buymeacoffee.com slash girlcrushpod. Tune in next time when we'll be talking about This Means War. Bye. Bye.